been a great morning already to be in God's house. I want to remind us of our role uh, as we're here in worship this morning. I'm here to preach. You're here to listen. So if you would happen to finish before I do, <laughs> I would hope that you would wait till I finish before you leave. How's that? Um, I feel like the message that I have to share is very important as we're starting a new series today on Family Survival Kit. The family is under attack today more than any other time in history. And so it is vital that we understand that we are under attack and what can we do, what has God given us to protect us as a family? I read a story recently about a, a man who was, he was a grown man, he had his own children, he was married, he was away from his uh, parents, and he went back home to visit his parents. And when he went back to home to visit his parents, he had to run some errands, so he, bothered, he borrowed his dad's car. And uh, he got in his dad's car, and he was going down the road, and he said something out of the corner of his eye uh, caught his uh, attention, and he saw something on the floor down by his leg. And so he looked down, and he picked it up, and he started laughing, because he said it was a bag of cookies. And he said his dad was in his 60s, but whenever his dad would run errands, he loved to have that bag of cookies, because that's the way his dad always did his errands, even when he was a little kid. And he said the second reason he laughed in between him eating a couple cookies, the second reason he laughed is because he said, I do the exact same thing. The power of modeling. The power of shaping the next generation. We as parents and grandparents have the opportunity to shape the next generation. If there are things in the generation in our culture that we don't like, we as parents and grandparents better take the bull by the horns and say, God, help me to make a difference. Don't just curse the darkness, light a candle. Make a difference in our culture. God has given us everything we need to live life and godliness, the Bible says. He has given us a prescription of how the family can not only survive, but how it can thrive and do well in our culture. And I am deeply, deeply concerned about the family. And the reason I am so deeply concerned about the family is because it is the family that makes up the church. And if the church is going to be strong, then it's going to be strong because the family is strong. And so why does Satan attack the family so hard? Because in essence, he's attacking the church. That's what he ultimately wants to do is destroy the church. But I have good news. Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. God has given us the victory already through his son. And we have the opportunity to shape the next generation. However, there are challenges to do that. Let me give you an example. Carl Zimmerman, who just passed away at the age of 96 this past year, he was a Milwaukee TV news pioneer. I didn't really know anything about him. But I came across a list of seven warning signs that he gives to a declining nation. And I say a declining nation in America. Here's what they are. I don't have them listed on the overhead, but let me just give them to you. 
Number one, an increased rate of divorce. Quick and easy, no-fault divorce. Number two, the failure to understand the permanence of the marriage model. Number three, a looser standard of family as a solution to social problems. Number four, lack of respect to parental authority. Number five, a promotion of cohabitation over marriage. Number six, the breakdown of most inhibitions against adultery. Number seven, acceptance of all forms of sexuality. If that is not a description of our country, I don't know what is. Dr. Zimmerman wrote, as we watch the destruction of the family, so we simultaneously watch the collapse of society. Maybe you're thinking this is just another Christian's conclusions. Wrong. This man was a secular historian. He never confessed to be a Christian. By the way, his book was written in 1947. Have you noticed the family shows produced from Hollywood? Desperate housewives. Wife swap. Who's my daddy? Nanny. Raising Gotti. It's about a daughter of a mafia boss. And here's what was said about Gotti. That show has the warmth of an ice pick and her sons the charm of, well, thugs. The Simpsons, the Osborne family, two and a half men. The first five seasons of Two and a Half Men find Charlie, Sheen, in casual sexual relationships with numerous women until the sixth season when he's engaged and it's finally broken off. They finally had to change the show because Charlie failed to, he said he's not going to be involved in the show anymore because they were only going to pay him a million dollars per episode. So it wasn't enough money. And then he ended up going into drug rehab and they had to bring somebody else onto the show. Girls, in case you don't know how to pick a husband, just watch ABC's The Bachelorette. Are you kidding me? And that's what's guiding our culture. Unless, unless we break out this book and we begin to absorb it and it begins to infiltrate our hearts and our minds and changes us from the inside out. I think about the verse in Judges. It says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Why is that the case? Because the fathers and the grandfathers failed to tell them. We have a responsibility as parents and as grandparents to tell the next generation about the works of God, about the person of God, and about God's Word. We this week learned that Caitlyn Jenner, formerly Bruce Jenner, who won the 1976 decathlon, 
for the U.S. Olympic team had surgery to become a female. Now, some people say, well, is that right or wrong? Here's my answer. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? The Bible says in Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. What Mr. Jenner has done, he's still Mr. Jenner, is he has tried to change and said God made a mistake. That's a slap in the face to our creator. Young people, don't you ever think for a moment that that is okay. It's a perversion of what God has instituted at creation. Because Psalm 139 tells us, and Mr. Jenner apparently doesn't know Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, verse 15, says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. God's eyes saw Mr. Jenner in his mother's womb and made him the way he wanted him to be. And he's made each of us the way he wants us to be. And for us to be something other than what God created us to be is a sad commentary on life. It's a slap to the creator to say he made a mistake. God help us. There are no perfect parents or families. Every family has struggles, including my own. So I don't come up here to tell you I've got all the answers and our family has no struggles and we have no challenges and no difficulties. I couldn't tell you that for a second, but I can tell you this. With the power of God and the grace of God, we can be victorious. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, oh boy, here, here we go. You don't understand where my kids are and how they're living right now, and I am so depressed and discouraged. And let me remind you of something. Don't live your life looking in the rearview mirror. All of us have things we can look back on and regret, and I have regrets too. And we can look and live in that rearview mirror and live depressed the rest of our lives. Today is the first day of the rest of your life, and God will give you grace to pick up your life from where you are right now. And by his grace, that's what you need to do. And you need to get on your knees before God and you need to cry out to God for your children and never stop. Even after they come to Christ, don't stop. That's what we have to do. So I want to encourage you to do that. If you have a wayward child, don't quit on God. He's there to help us and he wants to guide us. No family is exempt from Satan's attacks. I want to say that again. No family is exempt from Satan's attacks. He's going to attack us. He's going to attack families at Bethesda Church. He will. You know that. I know that. We need to be reminded of that. Someone said, once said that it seems that Satan first makes friends with the parents to make it easier to get their boys and girls. And I know there can be a lot of pain in parenting, but I want to remind us that God wants to heal your pain. He not only wants to heal your pain, he wants to use your pain to help somebody else's pain. And he will do that in his time and in his way. And even though you can't see that now, you have to trust God that he wants to use your pain to minister to someone else. 
We also have to recognize we're all at different stages in shaping the next generation. Some are at the early stages, shaping the next generation. You have infants and toddlers. Some are at the next stage with a bunch of little people running around. Some have grown children. I'm reminded of the couple who celebrated, and I know Mel and Kathleen are doing 60, but here's the couple that was celebrating their 70th wedding anniversary. And the husband, named Cecil, he said, you know you're getting old when your children are senior citizens. <laughs> I thought, wow, that is true. My parents were reminding me when they were here how many kids they have that are 50 plus. As parents... We've been given a divine assignment from the Lord to teach our children three life lessons that I want to share with you today. Three life lessons that we need to pass on to our kids. They are found in this passage in Deuteronomy 6. Let's read down through it together for a moment. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 1. These are the commands, Moses said, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Moses was given a divine assignment from the Lord to teach them to know God. The next generation is currently being shaped by the parents and grandparents of today. God did not place us, though, in a dark room with a, and hand us a box full of miscellaneous pieces and tell us to put it together and make something beautiful out of it. I'm glad he didn't do that. He has actually given us light. He's given us truth. He's given us the ability to understand the character and nature of God. And he's also told us what will make us successful as families. Not only successful, but he says... What does he say in verse 3? Hear, O Israel, be careful to obey that it, why? It may go well with you and you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey. God wants us to do well. He wants us to live long. He wants us, to, and I'm not talking about prosperity theology, but he does want us to prosper in our lives, to have abundant life. That's God's plan. His plan is not to get together and have husbands and wives fighting and arguing and bickering and the kids rebelling against the parents and, oh, what a wonderful plan that is. That is not God's plan. His plan is that there would be unity, harmony, intimacy, love, forgiveness, sacrifice, teamwork, all those things that make a family successful. But for all that to happen... 
We have to follow the playbook. God has told us what it is, what the playbook is. Moses was given this divine assignment from the Lord. We, as believers, have been given this same divine assignment. And what is it? It's in verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you're crossing. He's also given it to us as parents. The same commands, decrees, and laws that we are to pass on to our children. God has given it to us. What is the purpose of these laws? The purpose of these laws is a means of consecrating God's people to himself. It's not to restrict me and rob me of my joy and steal all my freedom. If we think that, we're, we're, we're misled. God wants us to experience joy, and the way we do that is being consecrated to God. That's the purpose of these laws. The purpose of these laws is for God to reveal his will, his heart, and his character to his people. And he's done that through this written revelation to us. So that's the means. These laws were given as a means of consecrating God's people to himself. Secondly, the goal of God's laws were maturity and conformity to the image of God. Notice he says that it may go well with you and that you may do what? Increase greatly, multiply, expand. Why? If we are living embodiment of the commands, laws, and decrees of God and we expand and spread over the face of the earth and we are made in the image of God, guess what happens? God's glory is spread over the earth. That's his plan, that his glory would be spread throughout all the earth, through the families of the earth, because they're in touch and in union with God. That was his plan from the beginning. But there's some challenges we have, and I want to share those with us. We need to recognize our past. Moses reminded them earlier of where they had come from. You had come from Egyptian bondage. You were in bondage for over 400 years. God even called some people home and would not let them go to the promised land. Recognize your past. We're, 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 God is bringing you into a land of plenty, a land of freedom, a land of blessing. Do you recognize that? But here's something else I want to challenge us on. Do we understand and evaluate our father's functioning in four areas. You see, our fathers have helped shape us and grandfathers. I think it's important for us to stop and consider how we have been shaped and how we might need to be reshaped in our lives by the power of God because we've all been shaped by our parents in one way, form, or another. Positively, negatively. Some of you don't even know your parents. Some of you are adopted. But you know what? God has brought you into a family where you can learn about God. Some of you are in a difficult home situation, but you are here at Bethesda Church where you can rub shoulders if you are a young man with godly men and learn what it means to follow Christ by rubbing shoulders with these godly men. Or you're a young lady and you, you don't have no role model whatsoever from a dad or a mom. You have godly ladies here that you can learn from. And that's a blessing. And so I want to keep that in mind as we look at these because these are crucial. And you might want to jot them down and I, I would challenge you to consider because when you think about how you might not carry out the spiritual responsibility of your home, it might be because of these very things right here. Number one's involvement. And I'll talk about these in a moment. Number two, consistency. 
consistency. Some people, there's no commitment, there's no consistency whatsoever in life because they've never had it whatsoever modeled for them or practiced at all in their life. For them to think about being committed to a marriage, they haven't been committed to a job, let alone a marriage. And so you can see how this seeps into the family when we don't even understand commitment and consistency. Number three, trying to get it to come up, it's not coming up. Awareness, there it is, awareness. Having an awareness of what's going on in your home, in your family. And number four, nurturance. Four major areas. Now let me give you four questions to ask. I pulled these out of a book. By, uh, the, it's called The Heart of a Father by Ken Canfield. Ken Canfield started years ago uh, an organization called National Center for Fathering. And he's done a lot of research. And so we share this because this does have an impact on us impacting the next generation and how we were impacted as well. So here's four major questions to ask in regard to these questions. Was my father involved in my life as a child? Was your father involved? If so, how was he involved? Did he give you positive encouragement or negative negativity? Did he build you up or tear you down? Because I can tell you, if that's what's happened in your family, you were tore down, you were talked down to, you were negativity, 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 that's the way you think. I'm a failure, I'm no good, I'm... And you know what? That impacts you believing God's commands and accepting and embracing it. We talked about Jesus' love this morning. Do you understand Jesus loves you and he wants you to be successful as a dad? He wants you to do that. And so the involvement of your father has had a great impact on your thumbprint on your children. And it'll have an impact on their grandchildren as well. So what about the involvement in your own family? I want you to evaluate that in your own heart and life. Some of you have deep scars and hurts, but I want to encourage you, God can heal them. God can heal them and use them. He turns ashes into beauty. That's a wonderful thing. Secondly, was my father consistent? Or was he wishy-washy? Was he a Christian at church and a hypocrite at home? Did he, did he, would he lack teg- integrity in his business, but he acted like he was a man of God around the leaders of the church? <laughs> did he tell dirty jokes at home and look at filthy magazines and then bring his Bible to church? You see what I'm saying? Shaping the next generation. We've had people grow up in homes like that. Greatly impacts us being able to, because then they come into church and they think all the other guys are like that, like my dad was. Has, has incredible implications. Thirdly, was my father aware of my feelings and thoughts? Did he even give you consideration of how you felt and thought about things? Well, he cries, oh, grow up, be a man. And you stuffed your feelings and emotions. Men have not learned to share their emotions and feelings because we're told not to. Oftentimes. But yet it has a great impact in how we live and to be able to share those things. Did you have a sense that your father was even interested in you? 
Did he seek to know who you were and what your world was like? Could he name your favorite color or baseball player? I mean, those sound like simple things, but it's a part of your world. Did he step into your world and get to know you? If we're going to pass on God's commands, because here's what happens. Rules without relationship breed rebellion. I didn't come up with that. I think it's a statement by Josh McDowell. Rules without relationship breed rebellion. Oh, follow these commands. Follow these rules. Do this. Do that. In a military lifestyle, and there's no relationship. It breeds rebellion. So it's important that we have that relationship. Fourthly, how much nurture did I receive from my father? Can you remember hearing the words, I love you, from your dad? Those are big words. Some people just freely give it, and other people, they never hear it. And it can be a scar. Can you feel your dad's hand on your shoulder in a loving way? Maybe he needed to listen to you when you needed to talk or encourage you when you were uncertain. And he wasn't there. There was a story of a father and son who were climbing in the mountains one day, and the father hesitated for a moment. He came to a place where he had to choose between two paths, and there was danger. As he stood there trying to determine the best path, his son reminded him of his great responsibility when he said, Go ahead, Dad. I'm right behind you. I think about that, that our responsibility is to teach our children to know God. If they are right behind Dad, are the footprints that Dad's leaving leading them to a knowledge of God? It doesn't happen accidentally. It has to be very intentional. How are you passing that on to your kids and grandkids? And I'm going to give you some practical things here in a moment. Life lesson number two, teach them to fear God. Not just know God, but fear God. We have to share God's word with them, the commands, the decrees, the laws for them to know God. We do the same thing for them to fear God. Notice he says, the decrees, the commands, the laws of the Lord were given to them. Verse 2, so that your children... You, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping his decrees and commands. What does it mean to fear God? Simply, honor God in all areas of my life. That's what it means. To revere God, to honor God in every area of my life. Let me give you some examples. My marriage. I have a respectful, loving relationship with my wife. Doesn't mean we agree on everything, get along on everything, you know. No, but, but we learn how to resolve things. We pray, we seek the Lord. We lift our family up to the Lord. We're seeking to honor God in our marriage. If you are disrespectful in your marriage, your kids know it. They know it. And it has an impact. My relationships as well. Do I have respectful, loving relationships with people? Am I a person of integrity in my relationships? 
Do I speak the truth in love? All those things are so vital. What about my worship? Is it the priority of my life? I would challenge you, check your faithfulness to church. How faithful you are. Check your passion for worship of the Lord. What about my habits? Are my habits godly? When I get the clicker in my hand and I'm watching the TV, am I watching some of the programs I mentioned earlier? Of course, some of those are already old news. They got programs coming out now that are far worse. I saw a couple of the previews and it just, I, I just shake my head. If we get our theology from CBS, ABC, and NBC, we're messed up. You don't have theology. You have a philosophy of worldliness and ungodliness. How do... Well, let me go on here. What about my work? Do I honor the Lord in my work? My leisure time as well. Do I honor the Lord in that? Notice Romans 3.18, there's no fear of God before their eyes. Here's where the unbeliever has a problem carrying out the dictates of Scripture because there's no fear of God before their eyes. And that is a problem. And I can tell you young people, if you disrespect your parents, it's because you do not fear God. You think it's a parental problem, it's a God problem. If you disrespect your parents, you are disrespecting God. God says what? Honor your father and your mother. He didn't say if you have this parent, I'll honor them. No, the parents you have, you are to honor. And the disrespect to authority is a lack of the fear of God in people. When I fear God, I will respect and honor his creation. I will respect and honor the authority that is placed over me. It's a fear of God problem. You've got a problem with God. And you need to get right with God. And you may need to go as a young person and apologize to your parents for your behavior. Your rebellious spirit. Because you lack the fear of God. May God bring us back to a fear of him in our culture. And that's what's happening to our culture. There's no fear of God anymore. This lack of fear in essence frees the conscience to violate God's law. But I say this, but not without a sense of guilt. If God is left out of the equation, it makes a person a practical atheist. While he may with his lips say he believes in God, he is not deeply concerned about what God thinks, nor is he interested in putting his faith and trust in God. How I honor and respect God will be reflected in how I honor and respect others. Guaranteed. You, if, I, if I observe somebody and I see them disrespect somebody, I, I, can, I know something about their relationship with God. It's not very close. <laughs> Or maybe they had a bad moment. We all have bad moments. But if there's a pattern of that behavior, they're not in a right relationship with God. If I do not honor God in my life, I will not have proper respect for parents or anyone else in authority. 
but it's learned behavior. Here's what the psalmist said. Come, my children, listen to me, and I will do what? I will teach you the fear of the Lord. It is a learned obedience. It is a learned understanding of how to fear God. We are not born with it. We have to be taught. And it is more caught, listen to me, more caught than taught when they see it in our own lives as parents. If the parents fail to teach the fear of the Lord, the children will be hard-pressed to learn it, and if the children fail to learn it, they will not respect their parents. Evaluate your daily routine. What does it reflect? Next, engrave God's word on their hearts. He says, down in verse 7, about God's commands, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Engrave it, indelible sharpness and precision, the priority of God's word in teaching it. Now let me give you a couple practical things here. Small children need simple Bible lessons. Don't bring out the big theological $20 words with small children. (laughs) They need something simple. Give them something simple that they can grab a hold of. Here's some practical things you can do. Act out the Bible lesson with your kids. We've had a lot of fun doing that, haven't we, (laughs) over the years. Um, Daniel and the lion's den, we acted out. We actually cut out of construction paper a little crown for for uh, the king that threw Daniel in the lion's den. Now, don't grade me on my crown, okay? It wasn't very pretty, but the kids thought it was great, okay? They've since learned I'm not much of an artist. But here's the thing, we act it out. Why? Because it, it helps stick in their mind and heart when we act it out. I remember when we did the Good Samaritan and, and I was walking down the hall and the kids started beating me up. Man, they love that. Let's do it again, Dad. I have yet to read a Bible story, and let's read it again, Dad. But let's do it again where we get to beat you up. And we did that about three times. I said, let's switch it around now. Let me beat you up. (laughs) But what did we do? We acted it out so it, it would indelibly stick in their mind and heart and talk about the lesson. You can have fun with it. Get up, get them involved. Tell them stories to reinforce biblical truth. When my boys got, you know, were young, We would lay in their bed at night. I would lay beside them, and I would just start making up a story out of my head. And and we we came to, I I had a little boy named Jacob and a little dog named Ginger. And Jacob and Ginger were always on some adventure. And Jacob and Ginger would invariably get themselves involved in something, this little boy, and they would say, well, how old's Jacob? I say, oh, I'm glad you asked. He's about your age. He's about your age. Why did I do that? They put themselves in the story. And and, and the little boy would get into this moral dilemma, and and what's he going to do? And I would stop in the middle of that, and I'd say, wait, if you were Jacob, what would you do? And what was I doing? I was trying to get them to take biblical truth and tie it to real life. And I actually went backwards. And then they would share what they would do, and then I would say, why? Why? Explain to me how you arrived at your answer. That's what I wanted to know. Because then I understood the thought process, and I'd say, is there any verses in the Bible that can back up your answer? 
See, tying biblical truth to real life situations. Because so many young people are growing up today, the Bible doesn't doesn't apply to me, doesn't doesn't apply to my situation. Hogwash. (laughs) It applies to every area of life if we pay attention to it. Pray with your children about their concerns. I remember Ryan when he was really young. He lost his VeggieTales calendar. I'm like, it was a crisis. I mean, this is important. For us, it'd be like losing a $100 bill. You know, and I mean, you know, he's, I mean, he's upset. We're sitting on the edge of his bed, you know, and he's got to find that thing. I said, Ryan, do you think God's interested in your VeggieTales calendar? No. <laughs> I said, you know what? He is. He actually is. And I said, we can actually pray about it right now and ask God to help us find that VeggieTale calendar. And we did. We took it to the Lord in prayer. And do you know we found that thing within 30 seconds? And you don't know what a miracle was because you don't know how messed up his bedroom was. It was a miracle. But God answered his prayer, and, we, and, and he's interested in those things that we struggle with. What's the lesson there? Well, guess what? When he gets a little older and has car trouble... Oh, that's right. When I lost that, God helped me with that. That means he wants to help me with a bigger problem. Oh, I got this relationship problem now. God wants to help me with that, too. It transfers on. We're going to have to stop here. But teach them to love God. Teach them to love God. We'll finish this up next week. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. While you do that, let me ask you to evaluate where you are. Are you teaching your children to know God? There's an implication there that you as a parent know God. It's kind of hard for you to teach what you do not possess. If you do not have a personal relationship with God and you are concerned about your children knowing God, then you need to give your life to Christ first. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin, shed his blood that you could be forgiven so I could be forgiven. It's the power of redemption. We are in the slave market, we are in bondage to sin. God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to rescue us out of our sin and to deliver us. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are born in sin. We are born separated from God. But God in his mercy that we sang about this morning, God in his love sent Jesus to die and pay the penalty for our sin that we could be forgiven. And that's my greatest challenge. If you are here today and you've never bowed your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and invited him into your life, would you do that today? I don't care what age you are. Today is the day of salvation. Would you give your life to Christ? Secondly, maybe you're here today and as a parent, this this challenge mainly went to you. You could walk out of here utterly depressed and defeated 
I don't want you to do that. As I said at the outset, there are no perfect families. And I love that because when I read through families in the Bible, I see dysfunction. (laughs) I'm like, I can raise my hand. There's dysfunction of some level because of sin in every one of our homes. We don't all follow God 100% of the time and filled with his spirit 100% of the time. And so we need his help. Maybe you're here today and you need to be encouraged. I want to encourage you. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Would you begin to say, God, from here on out, I'm trusting you. I'm going to cry out to you. Will you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, encourage me because I'm discouraged? And God will do that. I believe he will. Maybe you're here today and you realize that you have scars on the inside because of the way you were parented. You're like, man, I didn't realize, you know, where some of this was coming from. And maybe for the first time in your life, you're beginning to realize the imprint of your parents and the impact it's had on your life. But I'm, I'm, I'm here to encourage you that you have godly men and women around you to help you. And if you need someone to mentor you, Would you let me know? Would you call the office? Would you talk to me and say, you know what, I I need a mentor. I need someone to come alongside of me and help me through some of these challenges. That's why we're here. We want to do that. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is Bethesda mb.org that's Bethesda M as in Mary B as in boy dot org or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron have a blessed day